Blog Talk Radio. Rise and shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. A new day has dawned. All over the earth, men and women are arising. It's time for the sons of God to awake. It is a day of justice, recompense, Restoration, revival, and resurrection power. gentlemen, this is Vincent Xavier, pastor of New Wine Ministries. Great to be with you. Trust you had a wonderful weekend and a Memorial Day. We remembered yesterday in our Memorial gathering, we gathered about 50 of us up on the ark and had an amazing time of food, fun, and fellowship. And again, remembering those who died so that we could be free. Speaking of our military veterans and those who had given their life for this country, there was no doubt Uh, That's definitely the reason and the purpose of our American memorial service. However, always we put the Lord Jesus first as the greatest patriot to ever hit the face of the earth. He is the one that we remember that died for all of humanity and that we might truly be free. And that is not to take away from what those brave men and women gave their lives for in battle uh, to fight for the freedoms and the liberties of our nation. Unfortunately, I don't think a lot of those that died for the country thought they were dying for what exists today. I think they were fighting for the moral values and the constitutional rights of a people to live free within our nation without a communistic, socialistic takeover. So there are some things that we die for that really don't have eternal value. But then there are those things that those who have died uh, have died for the eternal purpose. And Jesus Christ of Nazareth, the Lord of heaven and earth, is the one that died for all of humanity, the greatest patriot to ever live in the existence of humanity in this whole thing called life. And he did it, so we remember him, the memorial service. We also remember the founding fathers of uh, the church age who laid their lives down 
those wonderful apostles of Jesus Christ that were killed for their standing up in the gap and in the face of adversity. And we could remember and we go back in history and see how many men and women of faith died so that the eternal purpose and the cause of the kingdom could advance. And so we are connected and we are thankful for all who have laid their lives down and fought uh, for the liberties and freedoms, but none, none have done what Jesus Christ has done. That is a fact. And so we praise the Lord for all of our military veterans, men that have stood in the gap, and those who have fought for this country. And we remember that uh, those who did go down fighting in, in their hearts, um, they fought for a country that was rooted and grounded in the Judeo-Christian reality. They fought for a nation, not a perfect nation, but they did fight for a nation that once stood for what was right. And today, unfortunately, that's not happening, and that is very sad. But anyways, that's kind of where we've been all weekend. We had a wonderful time of fellowship, a wonderful time in the Word, and we are a kingdom-minded people. We are not earthly-minded. We are not horizontally in our, or horizontal in our thinking. We are more vertical in our thinking, and you should be as well. And what I mean by that is that we're to keep our thoughts rooted in the things of God. In Colossians chapter 3, set your mind on things above. And so that above life is where we are to be thinking. The Bible actually says in Ephesians chapter 2 that we are seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And that's an, a marvelous thing when you stop and think about it, that we who have been born again are seated at the right hand of God in Christ Jesus uh, in our spirits, that is, and then our thinking is, is above as well. So uh, that's who we are. We believe in the kingdom of God. We believe in the coming of the king. We believe that time is short. We're living in the last days. We believe that our generation is qualified to be the final generation before the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Why do we believe that? Because the Bible has predicted some things, and whether or not it's a fact and whether or not it happens, we would be most foolish to deny the possibility and the potential of our generation being the generation that will witness all Bible prophecy being fulfilled in the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, if we happen to be alive and remaining. We, if we were to deny that, we would be more foolish, and it would be foolishness out of pride because we wouldn't want anything, anybody to say anything against us. Oh, you people have been saying that forever. You know, that's what they've said in the beginning of time. And, you know, we're afraid of man's uh, railing accusation, you know. But it would be more foolish, honestly, to take ourselves out of the game. I really believe, and you, we've said it a thousand times on this broadcast, I really believe that the major biblical signs that potentially are warning us of where we are in time. And I, I look at it this way, um, Israel, okay, the nation of Israel. I mean, I know we've heard it so many times, but hear it again. Why would we be considered the final generation? Well, Jesus said, when you see the fig tree put forth its branches, know that that's the generation wherein all things are going to be fulfilled. And a lot of people kind of look at the parable about the fig tree, and they come up with different ideas. But there is an idea, there is a biblical theological reality to what was being referred to, that Israel is referred to as a fig tree nation, okay? And that's in Hosea, that's in different parts of the scriptures. And he said, when you see that fig tree put forth its branches, well, 
in the days that he was speaking, it had already put forth its branches. And then the fig tree was cut down, right? I mean, he, he took, when he warned in the parable, you know, cut it down, and the, and the gardener said, let me dung it today and tomorrow, and let me, let me go this year and, and, and work it. But if it doesn't produce fruit, then we'll cut it down. And three and a half years into Jesus' ministry, the fig tree, you know, eventually in 70 AD was cut down. And then what Jesus was speaking in his revelatory understanding of the future is that when you see the fig tree put forth its branches, and what we saw in 1948 was a regathering of the nation of Israel after 1900 years of being scattered to the ends of the earth, having no nation, you know, a people is divided and scattered all over the world. 1948, all of a sudden, a people come back together again in the part of the land where Jesus was in Jerusalem and Israel, come on, and they regather in that place. And we are the generation from 1948 to where we are right now, 73 years down the road, as I'm understanding, 1948 to right now, 73 years. And so we are uh, remembering in the book of Psalms that it was written that uh, a person's life, the span of their life would be 70 years, would represent a generation of life, and 80 years if by strength. So that's an actual scripture in the Bible that talks about 70 years is a generation, but 80 if there's strength to it. And here, Israel from 1948, let me just mark it out, 48, 58, 68, 78, 88, 98, 2008, 2018, well, that's 70 years. And then we're three years into this, 2021, 73 years down the road. So Israel has been a generation, has been alive for 73 years. And if by strength, 80, which means there's seven years remaining to this fig tree generation, to Israel putting forth its branches. And he said, when you see that happen, know that summer is nigh and all these different things. But he said that this generation will not pass until all these things be fulfilled. And so many have looked at it and said, well, the generation he's referring to is the generation that witnesses Israel becoming a nation. I was born in 1963, and yet I'm born within the generation of the time when Israel became a nation in 1948, because the span of life for Israel is 73 years at this time, seven years left. Sound familiar? People talk about the Great Tribulation or the Tribulation period, a seven-year period of time. Well, I think it's absolutely phenomenal that I believe we're stepping into something that's going to accelerate. By the way, has anybody considered how fast things are going? I mean, is it basically outrunning you, the times that we're living in? I mean, are things moving along with such speed and acceleration, which God warned us about a couple of years ago on this broadcast, that there would be a time of acceleration, divine acceleration, that things would be speeding up? I mean, I could bring the prophecies to you here in just a little bit, but that it's actually happening, that it's almost like we were keeping up with things, keeping up, keeping up, and then they just flew. Does anybody else feel that way, that time is just flying by? And events around the world are just so rapid and so exponential in their going forth. I mean, it's, it's, you just kind of go, wow, that's, that thing has passed me by. I can't keep up with it. feels like that sometimes. And so it's important that we stay 
connected to the Word of God and keep studying and keep finding mysteries and unveiling treasures in the Word of God. For what purpose? I believe the only purpose for us studying the Word of God, looking through a biblical lens at the signs of the times, is to come up with an interpretation for God's people so that we may know what time it is. And I believe that in the economy of Israel, they had those trumpets. And when the trumpets sounded, they always gave a very distinct sound for different meanings. Sometimes they blew a trumpet, it was time to go to war. Sometimes they blew a trumpet, it was time to go to the feast. Sometimes they blew a trumpet, it was time to pack up the camp and move on in their journey. But there was a sound within the trumpet. So there was a timing. So what are, are, are the trumpets of God saying today? And where are we today? And you and I are Christians, and we've been saved by grace through faith. Our salvation is the most important thing ever, and that the blood of Jesus Christ was shed for the forgiveness of your sins and my sins. I mean, if we didn't look at anything going on in the world and we left out Bible prophecy and we just, you know, just removed all ideas, all ideas, okay, just let them go, and we just focused on our salvation, that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. If we just focus on our salvation and the value of that salvation and the meaning of that salvation and how the cost, the payment for you and I to be saved or salvaged or brought into wholeness, that that cost the life of God's dear son. I mean, we could spend the rest of eternity just focused on that. There is no doubt. And you know, there's a lot of churches that refuse to go into anything like the book of Revelation and, and, and other ideas because they just think, you know, it, it's speculation. We don't get it. And so let's just keep focusing on our salvation. And then, of course, we have to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. And what does salvation really mean? It doesn't mean going to heaven. Salvation really doesn't have anything to do with going to heaven. I mean, we will but salvation is being made whole. It's being delivered. It's being totally liberated from the old nature, the carnal mind, human nature, the old nature, the old man, right? So uh, salvation, really, when it's at work in a person's life, is a producing of a divine nature, a new creation, a new species of mankind, a born-again experience, okay? And so, you know, that is a tremendous amount of focus, and we praise God for that because, quite frankly, why, you know, why be concerned about anything else? It's our salvation. But then we hear in Scripture that there are demonic forces that are coming to steal, kill, and destroy. And I happen to believe that the devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy and that there's going to be a falling away of pe people that once believed. We know that the love of many is going to wax cold. We know that people are going to begin to hate one another, betray one another. They're going to defect from the truth. Um, they're going to heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, telling them things that they want to hear, smooth things, so because they don't want to hear about the rugged cross that we're all called to carry. Uh, demonic doctrines, demon, doctrines of demons everywhere around the world. Well, what are they for? What is the purpose? If a person can't lose, quote unquote, their salvation, then why does the devil... And why does the word of God expose the devil doing everything in his power to get people to turn away from God? And in the last days, Jesus said that the majority are going to turn away from God in their love and their faith. So I believe that while we have salvation, that we also need to know that there are pirates on the sea of life that want to rob the treasure of Christ in us, the hope of glory, and that there are created environments and atmospheres 
that are transpiring all over the world and growing all over the world designed to get people to quit, designed to get people to give in. And ultimately, the greatest weapon that the devil's going to use in the last days is deception. It is the devil who deceives the whole world. Even Jesus talking about the last days said the very first thing is that be careful that you're not deceived because great deception is coming on the whole earth. What does that mean? That means you must be responsible for you. You must take responsibility for the condition of your soul. And unfortunately, there are people in the body of Christ that believe they're, they're doing the right thing and are not. And that is, uh, that is amazing when you stop and think about how Christians can be deceived and not even know it. And they could be resolute in their deception. I mean resolute. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. And they could get into that position and because they desire something or they want something or, you know, they, there's, there's something they're going after and they don't want anything to interfere with it. You got to be super careful about those things. But what we do know is that we've been warned about deception. So how do I know for Vincent Xavier that I'm not being deceived? And I know that without Christ, without truth, without light, without Jesus, I mean, it's easy to deceive anybody. And I would be easily deceived. Even the elect of God could be deceived, let alone, you know, little old people like us. So I'm just saying, who's going to take responsibility for the truth in your life? Who is going to take responsibility for knowing the truth? And that's why we have to be super careful about going off into these ideas and these thoughts and these wonderments about this, that, and the other thing that, quite frankly, are really fringe elements, but are necessary at the same time to see the strategies of the devil, how he's going to work to steal, kill, and destroy, and how he deceives the whole world. And we just don't want to be deceived. So... We have a lot of work to do, and, I, you know, I just, I marvel that we're in this journey. I mean, it's just marvelous. Do you realize that if we were not Christians, if we were not believers in Jesus Christ, do you know how dark we would be? Do you know how darkened in our minds we would actually be? We would be living in a world with the dark shroud of demonic deception, thinking we were okay, just like it was before we were born again. We all thought we were good people going to heaven, and that was a lie. We were actually on the wide road that was leading to destruction, okay? So human beings have a tendency to think themselves other than what they really are. They don't know their true condition. Okay, and so now that the light of Christ has shined in our hearts, we kind of go, wow, I didn't know I was on the wide road that was leading to destruction and many there be that are on it. I didn't know that I had judgment written all over my life and that I was condemned coming out of the womb of my mother. I didn't know I was born in sin. I didn't know that I wasn't a good enough person in my own self to be a good person to God, that all of my goodness was as filthy rags before God. I didn't know that. And when the light of truth shined in my heart, I, I, I stepped back and said, oh, my God, I was really deceived. I really thought that I was okay. I really believed I was okay. I remember being a young man uh, believing that the Pope 
had me covered because I was a Catholic. That's what I used to really believe. I don't even know how I got there. But because I was Catholic, I was going to heaven, period. Meanwhile, my lifestyle and my, my, the absenteeism of calling Christ and inviting Christ into my heart to be the Lord of my life and reading the Bible, I never did those things. But I had this idea that I was okay and I wasn't okay. And so people today have to take responsibility because sometimes the pastor won't tell us what we need to hear. Okay. Sometimes, um, you know, people read things and they don't get the full meaning out of things or whatever. How responsible are you for your salvation? And what I mean by responsible, I know it's the Lord that's going to take us all the way when we put our faith and trust in him. <laughs> but how responsible for you of reading the word, studying the word, and understanding how you stand before God is. Because unfortunately, the Bible actually says, and Jesus taught, that in the last days, many will come to me and say, Lord, Lord, open unto me. For we have cast out devils in your name. We have healed the sick. We've done many wonderful things in your name. And he will say, depart from me, workers of iniquity. I never knew you. And what that literally means is that it never got down into the spiritual union, the intimacy between the person and Christ. And it was all works. And it's marvelous to imagine that people could go and cast out devils heal the sick, raise the dead, do all those things, and yet go straight to hell or not be granted access into heaven. They stand at the door and knock. The wise virgins and the foolish virgins, the foolish virgins are standing at the door. They're knocking, and they're, they're told to go away. I mean, it's hard to imagine, and yet Jesus said that's going to be the end-time reality among the majority of people, the, a very large crowd of people, many shall say to me in that day. How do we know we're not part of the many? How do we know that after death in this earth that we're really going to be with the Lord? I'm, well, I have faith. Well, I trust it. Okay, but what do you have faith in and what are you trusting in? Well, you know, if, if it's kind of ghostly and it's only essence and it's not established in your obedience to the word of God or my obedience to the word of God, if we're not really doing what the word says, remember, he who hears the word and doesn't do it deceives himself. And I believe that the deception that James was talking about were people that heard the gospel, they read it, but they didn't obey it. And so the deception that came on them is they thought they were saved. They thought they were going to heaven, but because they didn't obey the word, they weren't going to heaven. Or they thought because they had power to cast out devils, heal the sick, raise the dead, and do all those works, that that was somehow their access into heaven. But again, they didn't obey the word of God in character and conduct, and that became a delusion. They, they, because of their lack of obedience to do what the word of God says to do in everything that the word of God says to do, taking accountability for our lives, okay, doing, being responsible we're supposed to read the Bible, and we're supposed to do what it says to do. And yes, we can cast out devils, heal the sick, raise the dead. And yes, we can prophesy. And yes, we can do all those wonderful things. But to know that people can do that, and yet because of their character and their conduct, 
because they haven't uh, uh, allowed themselves to really repent and turn away from, you know, whatever human nature issues, which we all have. But there are some people that put things to death and there are some people that keep things alive. And if we're about keeping things alive in our life that are condemned in scripture, well, what makes us think that we can just go on into happy eternity and, and yet the Bible speaks absolutely contrary to that. I mean, I really believe, and, and this is a pet peeve with me personally, I truly believe that our conduct and our attitudes, that the, the way we are, is more important to God than the things we do. And I, I really believe that. And if I'm, if I'm harboring in my heart bitterness, resentment, unforgiveness, pride, lust, envy, jealousy, anger, um, you know, if I'm imagining things in my soul and I'm paying attention to what's going on in my soul in, in, in ideas and thoughts and concepts and false imaginations, and, and I'm, I'm hitting the rewind button on the sensual times of my past, and I'm going over and over and over again, and the things that I used to do that are now condemned by God that I should be ashamed of, but I'm keeping those things alive, and I'm not going to war, and I'm not putting those things to death. If I'm not being cleansed by the washing of the water of the word of God and allowing the blood of Jesus to take away the stain of my shame, if I'm still kind of, uh, you know, enjoying the demonic that was once participant in my life, you know, I'm in trouble. I can't do that. That's not right. I want to be washed, right? We want to be clean. We want to be morally pure. We want to be without stain, without spot, without blemish, without, uh, you know, triggers and buttons. We don't want those in our hearts. And so I really personally believe that the Bible wants us to concentrate. God wants us to concentrate in his word about genuinely getting born again. That being born again is not just some phrase within Christianity. That being born again means I'm a new person. And that along the journey of my life, there's evidence that I am changing. It may not be a presto, you're done in one moment, in one encounter. Oftentimes, it's an encounter with Christ that begins the journey, I, I guess for all of us. That's when the journey begins of transformation, loving not your life unto death, following the Lamb wherever he goes, obeying everything he says to do, uh, turning uh, away from sin, not allowing temptation to bring us in, uh, repenting from all things, turning from anything that offends the Father's heart. See, this is the journey, accepting his will, not my will, his way, not my way. It's, it's allowing God to totally take over his tabernacle. We are said to be the temple of the living God. And if we're the temple, then he's the presence. And it's his mind, it's his life, it's his heart that is supposed to live in us. We were created for his glory. He wants to live in us and move through us and he wants to do through us. Does he have a plan for our lives? Yes. He has a plan, but oftentimes we say, no, God, I don't want your plan. I'm impatient with that. I'm going to do it my way. And then we get to do our plan. We do it our way. And suddenly we're involved in things that were just are a mess. And then we have to spend years of our life getting ourselves out of the mess that we were in rather than accepting God's plan, walking in it, obeying God, doing what God says to do and, and realizing that everything in our life including these physical bodies that we're living in right now, are going away, never to be seen again. No money, no houses, no husbands, no wives, no children, no grandmas, no grandpas, no parents, 
no job, no accolades, no placards, nothing. We are taking nothing out of this earth. Think about that. Nothing. Zero. Not even the physical body that we've been looking at for however many years in the mirror. What we are taking out of this world at the expiration date of our lives is what's in our soul. Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And what is the treasure of our lives? Well, the tendency for humanity is to treasure the material things of this world, to treasure money, to treasure houses and cars and family and and education or whatever. But in reality, Jesus was basically telling us your life is a span. Your life is a vapor. You're here today. You're gone tomorrow. And you're not taking anything with you. In the book of Timothy, Paul made it very clear to Timothy. We brought nothing into this world. We came in naked and we're leaving naked. The difference is we're leaving with the treasure of what Christ has done in our lives and in our hearts. There are treasures that we should have, hope, faith, love, the idea that we're going to spend eternity with God and that eternal things are more important than temporary things. Everybody, Paul wrote to the Corinthian church, he said, this life on earth is temporary. It's all temporary. It's for a moment, literally. And yet we're looking to eternal things. So I'm really happy about the way that God has blessed my life on this earth. But he did say that you could, you're, you're going to have a hundredfold, but with tribulation, with sorrow, because you're living in a hostile world. And the very best life of accumulating as much as you can is going to be met with hostility, especially if you're born again. So whether we have much, whether we have little, the idea through the Apostle Paul is learn to be content with whatever we have. Now, see, this is all part of salvation. This is adjusting our heart and bringing it into alignment with God's heart. So I want to learn to be content when I have, when I don't have, when I have much, when I have little. I want to thank God when my needs are met. I don't want to live foolishly and get myself into debt and be buried with debt because I personally believe for every ounce of debt, there is a pound of pressure on a man or woman's soul. So the idea is to learn to live, to get out of debt, to owe no man nothing. And if you happen to live in a little shack and you have a little tiny refrigerator and you got some food in there and you got you, your bills are paid every, I mean, and you don't have debt, you're the richest person on the earth in my view of things. You know, to not get into ownership so much, Because the reality is whatever we own, it's really not our own. He owns everything concerning you and I. God owns the whole earth and everything in it. We're just micromanaging whatever God has. So if we go outside and we work, why do we give a tithe and an offering? Because we're showing it's from the Lord. The reason why I give a tithe, the reason why I give offerings, the reason why I give is I realize I'm not taking ownership of it. It's not mine. It belongs to God. And so God asked me to share with him first in the first fruits of all my increase, I give it to God. That just shows his ownership. And then I get to steward the rest of what I have. And I have found in my life, this works wonderfully. So there is a way to live on this earth, but not everybody's an American. Not everybody lives in the United States of America. It is said by some geopolitical people that the American population or the citizens of America are part of the 7% 
of the richest people on the planet. And we may have this idea that everybody in the whole world lives and has what we have. But what they found is 93% of the people living on this planet do not have what we have. And what were they saying? They said, if you have a house to go home to at night, if you have a bed to sleep in, if you pull a little change out of your pocket and a couple of dollar bills and put it on your dresser, you have clothes in your closet, food in your refrigerator, a vehicle to get back and forth or means to get back and forth to a place to work or whatever, that makes you one of the 7% of the richest people on the planet. That means 93% of the people that live in this world do not have. And you could go to Africa. I've been to Nairobi. I've been to Moyes Bridge in Kenya, Africa. I've been there. And I saw the way people live. And I, and I drove seven hours from Nairobi to Moyes Bridge. And I saw how five children live in a little hut. I saw how they had to go to the bathroom outside, a whole community, a whole village. I saw what their kitchens looked like, a bunch of burned wood on the floor, and they stick pots on it. I saw their mud. I saw it. And we see it on TV, and, you know, every once in a while, we, we throw a few bucks at it, and we say, well, you know, I, I'm so glad I'm not like them. But remember, 93%. And what is coming to America is a great famine. A great famine is coming, and great persecution. And all the nations of the earth are going to be caught in the lasso. And so we need to humble ourselves. We need to do what God wants us to do, live the way that God wants us to live. And the Bible is the roadmap. The Bible is the roadmap. And you know how the Bible story actually begins for you and I? Number one, believing the gospel. But the very first thing that the gospel, after believing in Jesus Christ, calls us to do is to take up our cross. And you see, I don't believe that the cross is preached enough. I don't believe that we're thinking enough about the cross, which means a crucifixion of our old nature, a dying to self, a giving up of our lives in exchange for the life that God has for us. Sometimes I think we really don't trust the Lord. We say we believe, but we really don't believe he's got a plan for me. And we certainly don't have the patience to wait for God to work out his plan. But I can assure you, if we're willing to wait, we will see the glory of God. We will see his plan unfold. 39 years ago, when they came to me and told me about Jesus, they said God had a plan for my life. That meant everything to me. And all these years, 39 years, Lord, is this part of your plan? Is this part of your plan? And I'm beginning to see things that I was sowing into 39 years ago, 35 years ago, 25 years ago, 20 years ago, 10 years, things that we sowed into when we were faithful and nobody knew it, when we were giving and we didn't see any immediate results, when we were just faithful to do what God said to do when nobody was watching and we were praying, Lord, how long, how long, what is it going to take? And yet we're living our life as, well, we're beginning to just see the unfolding and the reaping of the beautiful things of God. And what I've learned is that God doesn't do everything immediately because we would get in a lot of trouble. He tempers us first. He's looking for character so that we could go from servants to stewards to sons. Remember that sermon? We're all servants of God, and then we become stewards, and we have a lot more responsibility than sonship. And so, you know, it's, it's just an amazing journey. I just wanted to say that today. It's an amazing journey. Being a Christian 
whether you are a male or a female. Being a believer in Jesus Christ is not some verbal consent. I mean, there is a confession, but it's more about what does this Bible actually say to us? What is God's message to us? And I know that we love the message from God's heart, that he loves us. He's written our names in the book of life, that he has eternal purpose for us, and he's going to bless us, and he's going to give us everything we need because he's a father of lights, and he only gives good gifts. I mean, we love that side of things. And why wouldn't we, right? I mean, why wouldn't we want the, glory, the benefits of God? But you see, that's a dangerous thing to want the benefits of God rather than God himself. I love when God told Abraham, Abraham, I am your reward. It's not about stuff for Abraham. I am your reward. And it's about loving Jesus. It's about loving God and having such a desire to have a relationship with him that nothing will be satisfied until you do. All the money in the world will never satisfy the deep longing of your born-again spirit. Honest to God, it just won't. Having found the greatest mate in the world, having discovered the greatest job or whatever we love to do on earth, there's a void there that can only be filled by a relationship. And that relationship isn't just a part of everything else. The relationship with God is the primary factor. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. So wherever you are right now, whatever you're doing right now, would you just stop and think with me for a moment that, and just turn it around and say, Lord, forgive me if I made anything else important on this earth. Forgive me if I'm, if I'm looking at the things of this world as being more important than you. And give me a willingness in my heart right now, Father God, to do whatever you want me to do, to go wherever you want me to go, to, to just to, to change more with the cross. Lord, I want to take up my cross today. I want to die to worldly attitudes, Adamic human nature, fallen human nature attitude and attributes. I want to stop being nasty, mean, grumbling, complaining, murmuring. Lord, forgive me for all of these attitudes that are a part of my human psyche, part of my human nature, but Lord, you told me to pick up my cross and crucify them. You didn't say to excuse that. You didn't say to make excuses. Well, you know, we're all human and we're all sinners. The Bible doesn't actually teach that. It says we were, we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We've certainly all adopted a human nature, but the, the glory of New Testament re- Christianity is that we're born again, we get a new nature, that a seed was planted in the good soil of our heart, and we become brand new creatures in Christ Jesus. I mean, why isn't that valued more, that, that reality? Why isn't it valued? Why do we insist in remaining the, the way we've always been? Why can't we change? Why can't we become the people that are filled with love and joy and peace? Now, you can't tell me that an attitude, a character, an internal environment of love, joy, peace, just those first three fruits of the Holy Spirit, that's the best life you'll ever live. Your best life is not in how much money you have. It's not in where you live. It's not in who you're married to. It's not who your family is. Your best life is within you 
that God gave you, which is filled with you being filled with love, love and joy, great joy and peace. I mean, these are just three of the divine attributes that God is to sowing into us and taking root and, and become, we're becoming one with his nature. But let me ask you a question. Right now, if you had no money in the world, you had no spouse, you had no family, it was just you and Jesus, and Jesus put inside of you his love, his love. So inside of you, you don't have anything, but you have love. You just have love and joy. And he just put this joy inside of you that you can look at life and go, man, I don't have much, but I've got everything. I've got the joy of the Lord and peace. That you that don't have much, but you in a world of chaos and confusion have peace in your heart. You have peace and hope and trust and love and joy. And then the rest of the fruit of the Spirit is what? Gentleness, goodness, kindness, self-control, patience. I mean, all these different attributes that make you the person that God wants you to be. Why isn't that valued more in Christianity today? Why isn't a developed, cultivated, fruit of the Holy Spirit, inward activity of our lives, why isn't that valued more? Why are we not willing to make the change today? You see, the reality is, rather than being angry and impatient, we have the ability to be joyful and patient. Rather than hating, we could have love. We have all of that ability to operate and to take over and consume us and become it. You see, not just rehearse it and, and act like it's, well, like an actor on a stage. I'm going to act and I'm going to pretend that I have these things. No, the reality of the Bible is that we become the fruit of the Holy Spirit. We become like him. And everything in our lives is truly about becoming. For those who believed he gave the Holy Spirit that we might become the sons of God. He gave power that we might become. Everything is becoming. What are we becoming? We're not actors on a stage pretending and then taking the props and saying, okay, I'm going to take the prop of love and I'm going to use it for, the, for a moment. I'm going to take the prop of joy. No, these aren't props on a stage where we're acting. It is evidence of being truly born again. Is there genuine agape love in my heart? Do I have affections for the body of Christ? Do I love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength? Do I have the joy of the Lord? Or am I walking in depression? Do you know there are so many Christians today that literally walk and live in depression? You see it on their faces. You see it in their eyes. You see it in their life. They're literally depressed. There are people today that are just walking around with other attributes other than Christ, and yet they go to church. And they think because they go to church, that's their ticket to heaven. It's not. It's being outside and away from everybody and you and God standing together. And, and I know this isn't, you know, the conversation we're normally having, but it is the truth. You see, because our lives that are passing, and I, and I just bear witness in my spirit, it's speeding along so fast right now. The day is going to come when we are going to give an account to God for our lives. So what is the message? God loves you. He has given to you and me 
his Holy Spirit and this beautiful word of God that we would become everything the word of God says we would become kings, priests, a royal priesthood, more than conquerors, overcomers, divine nature, new creation, people that walk just like Jesus walked in nature. See, our union with Christ is not external. The union that we're to have with Christ is a nature union. It's a, it's a union of two natures. That's why Jesus, the bridegroom, is not going to marry a bride that isn't like him in nature. The true bride of Christ carries the nature that Jesus has, and that's equally yoked. To just say, well, I go to church and I'm a believer, but my nature has never changed. I've never really been born again in reality. It was only a concept. I've never really been a new creation in Christ Jesus. Old things pass away. I've never really tasted that. It's only been a Christian lingo. Or I've never produced and walked in the fruit or the nature of the Holy Spirit. It's only been conversation. No, it's not going to work that way. And this is the great deception, the great delusion. The world is already deceived. I mean, the world without Jesus, man, they are so darkened. And they may appear to be full of light and righteousness, and we're doctors and lawyers and politicians, but without Christ, they are simply fallen human beings doing the best they can on this planet, thinking this, that, and the other thing. But they're deceived. But what's worse than that is the billions of people on the planet that go to church, that say they believe, but there's no evidence of their salvation. The evidence being the inward transformation the change of thoughts, the change of ideas, the change of values. We may have valued things on this earth before Christ, but after Christ, we have a new value system. We're built on a new constitution. We're built in a new way of, of, of morality, if you want to go there, into a moral virtue, a moral righteousness. And this is experience. And, and to work that out and into our lives is beautiful. I have a brother. I watch this brother, and he goes out of his way to do it God's way. He goes out of his way to serve everywhere he goes. He's never waiting to be served. He's always looking to help. And because of that, these doors of opportunity open. And, I mean, it's really an amazing thing, and it's almost as though Every day, he's just kind of committing his life to Jesus, and he's on assignment to help. And yet, he's happy, full of joy. His needs are met. I mean, it's really a wonderful thing to see. I often just stand in awe and go, wow, look at that. Look at that. And I have to believe that God really does admire that. And then critical people in the body of Christ, you know, the scribes and Pharisees, well, there's faults in that person, and they don't see the three fingers pointing back at them, right? So to me, on this Tuesday, this is the most important thing. You have been saved by God's holy grace. Saved from what? Well, saved from the wrath of God that's going to be poured out. Saved from the condemnation that you were born with. Saved from the righteous judgment of God, saved from hell, 
saved from death, saved from the lake of fire, but more than that, saved from the human nature that drew the wrath of God, saved from the kind of person you used to be. You see, Christianity in its purest form is a salvation that is all about change. And I want to ask you a question today. And I, and I always look in the mirror. I'm always looking at myself. Since the day you believed in Jesus Christ and your journey began, have you changed? Now, wait a second. When you were 15 years old, you acted like a teenager, and you're now 45. You've changed because you've grown up. But even in the world, people change. Hear me out. People change in the world. Now, their attitudes don't necessarily change. Their conduct, their character, at 15, it was developing. And then by 2025, it was being, you know, it was being set in stone, if you will. And they grow up and these characteristics, stay with them. And yet they go through a metamorphosis of sorts because that's what humans do. We, we change. But I'm not talking about that kind of change. Have you changed? in conduct, in character, in nature? Are you still bitter, still resentful, still angry, still full of pride, still full of lust, still envy what others have? Are you, do you, are you still unclean? I mean, just, again, I'm looking in the proverbial mirror. I get it. Have you changed? Is there a point in your life you can say, man, I really have changed? And I I don't react the way I used to react. I don't do what I used to do. I don't have that same anger and resentment and unforgiveness and bitterness towards those that offended me anymore. It's not there. I've actually found myself praying for people and loving people and longing for their salvation. Have you changed? Are you carrying on, on the inside of you the fruit, the nature of the Holy Spirit? Are you full of joy? Are you full of peace? Is righteousness your great desire to walk in the righteousness of God, the righteousness of Christ? Why do we ask the question, man, if we've tasted that the Lord is good, have you tasted? Have you just tasted that the Lord is good? He's got so much more for us. He has so much more for us. What's coming on this earth? is designed by the devil to bring an offense to your heart and to my heart. Offense is the scandalizo, the trap. Things are going to happen all around us. And we're going to, if, if we haven't changed inside and we're easily offended, if a tiny little temptation takes us away, this is dangerous. For all of us, nobody's going to stop the devil from coming onto this earth and beginning his three and a half year great tribulation. Nobody's stopping the temptation and the demonic activity that's all over the world today. Can't stop what people are going to do. It's our response. And here's the the deal. The divine nature of the fruit of the Holy Spirit that takes root in our lives, 
is designed by God to protect us from the things that are coming. Guns are not going to save us. Bullets are not going to save us. Food is not going to save us. Uh, Nothing. What is going to save us is the nature that we possess. I'm telling you the truth, biblically, that our salvation is in the transformation. Because when hate comes, if we respond wrong, we're going to be taken away. If violence comes our way, if lust comes our way, greed comes our way, all I'm saying, the Bible says, it's the internal response to the world, the flesh, and the devil that are making war against us. And the dragon that is coming to make war with the church, he's going to do everything in his power to exploit the areas of our lives that are not sanctified before the Lord. The dragon is bringing an all-out flood to sweep away the church. Our response is our salvation. I believe in Jesus. I'm saved by grace through faith. Hallelujah. That has to be real. Saved means to be made whole, to be delivered, to no longer be a prisoner to sin or to human nature. One of the great passages of all time, just to kind of confirm what I'm saying, is Romans chapter 6. And if you were to just take everything that was just said, here's what we read in the scriptures. This is the conduct that you and I need to find, okay? So Romans chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Now, I want you to consider something about that phrase, shall we continue in sin? Shall we continue in the sin nature? Okay, rather than just pointing out a bad sin here and a bad sin there, I really believe that sin, it doesn't say sin's plural, he's talking here about a sinful nature. So Paul's asking a question. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in the sinful nature that grace may abound? God forbid. So earlier in Romans 5, he's saying how we were saved by grace. Saved, meaning delivered and made whole. And he's saying now that we have this grace on our lives, should we continue in the sinful nature? And he says, God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin. In other words, Paul's asking a question to the believers. How shall we that are dead to the sin nature live any longer therein? So Paul's writing to a people that he's basically considering they should know you're dead to the sin nature, so how can you live any longer in it? The grace that saved you from the sin nature does not license you to go and sin. 
or does not license the sin nature to continue. He said the grace that you were given is the grace that is so supernatural and so powerful that it rules and reigns over the sin nature, obliterates it. That's what grace was for, not the greasy grace, right? That, oh, I got grace so I could keep sinning in my lower nature and blah, blah. No, Paul is actually saying in the strongest of terms, how shall we that are dead to the sinful nature, and there's only one way to be dead to the sinful nature, how? The cross. The cross. Pick it up. Die to it. Shut your mouth. Change. Turn. Die right to it. The sin nature that wants to act out, don't let it. He's telling us, when we take up our cross, we don't let it happen. We're dead to it, right? He's taking responsibility. Now, he goes on in verse 2, God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Don't you know? And this, maybe this is what Paul's asking you and I today. Don't you know? Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? What does that mean? Paul is going to use baptism as a weapon against the sin nature. When we were baptized into Jesus Christ, we were baptized into his death. When he died on the cross for the sins of the whole world, we died with him. In our baptism, that's the symbolic meaning of baptism, water baptism. We had a beautiful one yesterday. Water baptism is you're going under, and as far as the east is from the west, he's buried my sins in the depths of the sea, the baptismal waters. The symbolic act is you go underwater in death, you come out of the water, and you have a new life. And then the continual baptism in the washing of the water of the word to our lifetimes, right? But Paul's saying, don't you know, as many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized into his death. Listen, verse 4. Therefore, we are buried. What's buried? Our sinful nature. Listen to the way he's putting it. Now, where's your faith? Where's your faith now? See, without faith, none of this works. You have to know this. You have to have faith to believe this. He said, therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. All right, so what's the idea? Baptism, go into the water, die, come up, new life. An understanding, baptize into Christ, baptize who is death, and even as he was dead and then rose, we are to live in newness of life, which means the new nature. You see, the truth of the matter is, from the day we were born again, we should have been fully educated and made to know that this baptism is a transformation. This is the beginning of you and I putting off the deeds of the flesh, putting off the old man and putting on the new man. We are to have a faith to know 
that that old sinful nature is buried. And then we're on the other side of that. All of our sins of the past were forgiven. How many people do we know today that still are living out of the guilt, shame, and condemnation and reproach of their past life? They go to church, they claim to be Christians, and yet they're still guilty, ashamed, condemned about what they did back there. That is living proof of total and complete unbelief in what Christ has done. If you go to church and you're carrying any guilt, any shame, any condemnation, any reproach from your past is on you, demonic bloodline curses, call it whatever you want. If any of that is still active in your life, it is a sure sign of unbelief. But faith says right here in the word of God that we are buried and then we're raised up to walk in newness of life. Are you walking in newness of life in a new nature? That's the question. You can. I can, but I have to do it. I have to take my faith and put work to it. I can't just read this and say, that's it, and have some whimsical knowledge floating around in my head. I've got to make this purposeful. I've got to make it clear to devils and demons and everybody on this world, including myself, I don't do that anymore. That old life is gone. That sinful man is dead. I'm a new creation. I'm born again. I have a new nature. I now walk by the power of the Holy Spirit of the living God, and he's helping me to become. Now, in verse 5, for if, that word if is huge, if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death. Have you been planted? Folks, have you just let yourself be planted in the likeness of Jesus' death, right? That's the question. If we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. That's what he said earlier. We walk in newness of life. Dead, buried, resurrected, newness of life. But you have to be planted in the likeness of his death which means everything of the old life has to go into the death. It has to be buried. You don't live out of it anymore. You don't think about it. You have to have a new mind, renewing your mind by the word of God. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You can't think the way you used to think anymore. You got to deal with those insanities. You got to put on the full armor of God. You got to protect your mind, right? I mean, there's, this is a labor a working out of our salvation until it becomes a reality. And nobody's going to wave a wand over any of us. Presto, you're done. It's not going to work that way. Well, we're not into works. I know we're not into works for salvation. We've got salvation, but we need to work it out. Now, here's verse 6. Knowing this, here's something else we're supposed to know. That our old man... Our old nature, knowing this, that our old nature, our old man, sinful human nature, is crucified with him. Your old nature, your old man, 
is crucified with him. When you came to faith in Jesus and you accepted the fact he died for you, well, get on the cross with him. Die with him. He died. You died. The old nature died. He was buried. You were buried. The old nature was buried. He rose in newness of life. You rose in newness of life. You're born again. You're not condemned anymore. You're not guilty anymore. You're not ashamed anymore. There is no reproach. But the great war of the dragon against the church is the fact that he is the accuser of the brethren. Revelation 12, the war of the dragon on the church predominantly is accusation. And he accuses day and night before the throne of God. And his accusation is all over the world in every realm of spirit and maybe even in your own mind. And so the warfare that we have against the devil is to not receive his accusation against our past life. And then to live right now in the power of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost, to live in the power of the Spirit so that we don't have to sin anymore. You're going to see that in just a moment. You're living in a new start. You have a fresh beginning. Today, his mercies are new every morning. Today, get up and move on and don't live out of the accusation of the accuser. He's never going to stop accusing you. But your war is not to receive his accusation, to say these words to him. Now, knowing this, that our old nature Our old sin nature is crucified with Christ, that the body of sin might be destroyed. The body of sin, the old sin nature is destroyed. You don't have to live out of it anymore. That henceforth, from now on, we should not serve sin, the sin nature. We don't serve the appetites of the old sinful nature anymore. We are not servants of the sin nature because the devil is the God of the sinful nature. Ephesians 2 makes that clear. For he that is dead to the sin nature, reckon it so, is freed from the sin nature. You're freed from the sin nature. This is the Bible. I'm not making this up. The Bible says that you are free from living under the power of the sinful nature, your old sin nature. You're not a servant any longer to the sin nature. You do not have to live out of the sin nature, which means you don't have to sin. You do not have to sin. According to this word, now in verse 8, Now, if we be dead, there's that word if again. If we be dead with Christ. Come on, let's just be dead with him right now. Lord, we're dead with you. We're dead to this old stuff. We're dead to that nonsense, that old man, that old nature. We're dead. We're dead. We're dead. We're dead. We're dead. If we are, okay, dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Dead to the old nature, living in the new nature. The joy, the love, the peace, right here, right now. 
right here, right now. Let it be. Shift. Move into it. By faith, believe the word of God. Verse 9, here's another thing he wants us to know. Knowing, are you knowing this? Do we know this? Knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dies no more. Okay, now, I don't know how people are going to take this, but Paul wanted the believers to know that Christ was raised from death, and he's not going to die ever again. He doesn't have to go through it again. He did it once. He died. Death has no more dominion over him. When he rose from death, death had no more control over his life. Now, this is going to mean something to you and I. When Jesus died for the sins of the whole world, he died, and he rose from death, never to die again. What does that mean to you and I? Now, death has no more dominion over him, for in that he died, he died unto sin once. How many times are you going to have to die to the sin nature? If it's dead, it's dead. Come on. Now, we're doing this in Christ, right? So watch this. But in that he lives, he lives unto God. So Paul now saying he wants you and I, Christians, to know that this is what Christ did. But then verse 11, he says, Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves (laughs) to be dead. What is he saying to do? Reckon it. Count it as though it is. Take an account of this. Reckon this up. What is he saying? The same way that Christ died once and rose from death and dies no more, you and I are to reckon ourselves to be dead indeed unto the sinful nature. Reckon it. but also reckon ourselves to be alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Reckon yourself to be alive. The sin nature doesn't control you anymore. It has no power over you anymore when you are baptized into Jesus Christ and do it his way. Which means by faith, Everything Christ did, he did for you. He did for me. Now, is this good news to anybody yet? I'm telling you this word is telling you. You don't have to live as a slave to your sin nature anymore. That depression, that fear, that condemnation, guilt, shame, I'm telling you, today could be the day of true salvation in your life. Today, you can cross over into the light of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ and never return to the darkness of that old nature, sinful nature life you were part of. Today, it all begins new. It's interesting. Today is June 1st. A new month begins. Salvation. Salvation. Saved. 
from the sin nature that has the wrath of God on it and condemnation. The sin nature of man is condemned. You don't have to have it any longer. You could step into the born-again life, transition, renew, transform, step out, out of darkness into light, out of death into life. Today, right now, now, reckon it. Reckon yourself to be dead to the sin nature and alive unto God's new nature. Watch this. Verse 12. Let not sin or the sin nature therefore reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in the lust thereof. He's literally saying to us that we can, we can do this. We have permission not to allow the sin nature to reign in our mortal body anymore. That we do not have to obey the sin nature anymore. I do not have to obey the desires, the impulses, the affections of the sin nature. I don't have to do what it wants to do. I can change and go into another nature and let a new nature control me. Oh, come on. Now, verse 13, neither yield, don't yield your members, the members of your body, don't yield your members as instruments of unrighteousness under the sin nature. In other words, don't give your body over to the sinful nature. The sinful nature is inside. And it basically moves the body to do what it wants to do with appetites and desires, right? Well, he says here, don't yield your members. Don't turn them over to sin nature desire. As instruments unto sin of unrighteousness, but yield yourselves unto God's nature. So in other words, here's my physical body. Here, all I am, this is me, this is you, yield to God's nature. So in other words, what I do out of this body, what this body does is controlled by the divine nature, the new nature, the new man. We just read the old man is crucified, the new man. Put off the old man, put on the new man. What does that mean? Yield to God's desires. Whew. Yield to love and joy and peace and all the good things. Yield to God. Listen, you know how healthy your physical body is going to become when you stop being worried, stressed out, and knowing intrinsically that condemnation is on you because you're still living out of the sin nature? I don't care how much people bury it. If we're living out of the sin nature, it is condemned, period. Well, I'm a Jesus person. I go to church. But if you're living out of the sin nature, there's condemnation on it. You can't escape that. The only way out from condemnation, guilt, and shame is to shift or yield unto the nature of God. See, people thought, well, grace is so that I could continue in the sin nature. No, it's not. No, it's not. But then you have these people come and say, well, you're never going to stop sinning. Yes, you can. Yield, it's all about who you yield yourselves to. If we yield to God's nature and we don't yield to the nature of the old man, 
No, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to do this. This pleases God. This is where life is. You know how healthy our physical bodies are going to get when we yield to God, filled with love and joy and peace. I mean, all the goodness and, and kindness of God. I mean, that nature, you're going to get into such healing. Come on. Do we hear the message, Lord Jesus, separate light from darkness in our understanding right now. Take away the veil of Satan's deception that we all have to serve him and his appetites in a fallen nature. God forbid. Now, we are to yield, neither yield yourselves as instruments, members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God, his nature, as those that are alive from the dead. You're alive from the dead, so yield to God now. Your old man is dead. The old nature is dead. The sin nature is dead. The old you is dead. You're alive now, and you're going to yield to God. His nature. Practice it every day. Don't get angry and frustrated and impatient and worried and stressed. No. Yield to peace. The devil wants you to yield to impatience, stress, worry, concern, fear, because it kills your body. It kills the body. This nature does not depend on the conditions or the environment you live in. You can have this nature in prison. You could be in tough stuff, man, but this nature goes with you everywhere you go because it's a part of you, and it's God's nature. That means he's with you wherever you go. (laughs) Now, as those that are alive from the dead and your members, yield your members of your body, as instruments of righteousness unto God. See, it's the total shift. That's all it is. For sin, verse 14, for sin or the sinful nature shall not have dominion over you. It shall not have dominion. The sin nature shall not have dominion over you. You. Remember, the warfare of the dragon against all believers is going to be accusation, condemnation, guilt, shame, keeping people in a static state of your part of the old nature. The word of God is saying, no, it's a sword of the spirit slicing, cutting you free from that old nature so that the devil has no power over you. If you walk in the flesh, he's going to have power. You walk in the old nature, he's going to dominate you. He's going to torment you with guilt, shame, condemnation, accusation, reproach. You've got to reckon it today. I'm done. That's over. I'm buried. That guy is gone. That person's gone. You're walking in the new side. Do it right now. Praise the Lord. Okay, now. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you're not under the law, but under grace. Oh. Now, the law just condemned everybody, right? Because the law showed the sin nature in man. So grace was granted to enable us to no longer live out of the sin nature. Grace has been granted to us to bring us up and out. And there were people that were dying before the law ever came. Men were dying, the Bible says in Romans 5. Men died before the law of Moses ever showed up. 
because the same sin that the law exposed was already in operation in the human race. So the sin, would, there was still a penalty. The law just exposed it. But the grace brings us out of the old nature, the sinful nature, into a new nature. See, grace is not a license to sin. You're seeing that through this whole passage. So now in Romans chapter 6, verse 15, what, sh- what then? Shall we sin because we're not under the law but under grace? And that's what a lot of people think. Well, I'm not under the law. I'm under grace, so I can sin. Paul said, shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? God forbid. God forbid. Know ye not. Another question. Don't you know that to whom you yield yourselves servants to obey? Now, don't you know this? To whom you yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants you are to whom you obey. So now we're getting down into a choice, the will. I could choose who I'm going to obey. I could choose to obey the new nature, God, or I could choose to obey the sinful nature, the devil. I make the choice. That's what the word says. It says, don't you know that to whom you yield yourselves, servants to obey, his servants you are to whom you obey, whether of sin or the sin nature, unto death. So if we yield to the sin nature, it produces death, period. Or of obedience, in other words, yield to the obedience of the new nature, unto righteousness, We yield to do what is right. We yield to God's nature. We yield to the new nature. Righteousness is going to be multiplying in our lives. And every single time we choose to obey and yield to God, his nature, and we're obedient to his word, it produces righteousness in us. Verse 17, but God be thanked, someone thank the Lord, that you were Someone say it. You were. In other words, you used to be. God be thanked that you were the servants of the sinful nature. But, notice it says you are. It doesn't say that. It says you were. But you have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. See, I love this. The form of true doctrine brings true salvation from the old sinful nature controlled by the devil that produces guilt, shame, condemnation, brokenness, harassment, and every other horrible thing that happens to people. But this word says right here, this is unbelievable. You obeyed from the heart. You obeyed the doctrine. And I'm sharing part of it with you right now. You obeyed from your heart the doctrine, that form of doctrine which was delivered you. In other words, the true doctrine in the New Testament is not an excuse for sin. It doesn't want anybody to live in the sin nature. It is a doctrine that produces holiness 
righteousness. Watch this. Verse 18. You gotta write, you gotta, you gotta mark this in your spirit. You gotta write this in your soul. Being then made free from sin. What? Being then made free from the sin nature. You became, see, it's all about becoming, right? You became the servants of righteousness. Hallelujah. Is there any evidence in your life that this is true? 30, 60, 100 fold. Is there any evidence? You used to yield yourself to the devil. You don't yield yourself to the devil anymore. You don't yield yourself to the lower nature anymore. You do not obey it and its desires and lusts. Because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. The divine nature, the nature of Jesus Christ is in you. You yield to it. You see, God put his nature in you when he put the seed in you. But you have to yield to it. Obey it. Before Christ, you didn't have it. I didn't have it. But now being born again, we have a new nature in us. And the idea is to yield to it. Yield to it. Yield to it. And it will become The likeness of Christ. We are lazy in our generation concerning these things. We don't want to have to get into yielding and obeying, and we just want to flow. I believe in Jesus, therefore I'm going to heaven. That's not the word. Man, you got to work this out like an athlete, you got to work this out like a warrior. You've got to work this thing through by your faith. You have to exercise the powers of your mind in the sense of getting into agreement with God. Now watch this. He says, I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh. Oh, Paul's going, man, I've got I to speak this. I've got to be so easy in my thinking with you because your flesh is really weak. For as you have yielded your members, servants to uncleanness and to iniquity unto iniquity. Okay, you used to be the snowball effect, iniquity unto iniquity. You used to yield. Even so now, yield your members, servants to righteousness unto holiness. It's holiness. It's holiness that is the end result of our walk with God. It's not presto, I wave a wand over you and you got it. It's worked out. Second Corinthians 7.1, having these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves of all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Purge out the leaven in 2 Timothy chapter 2. We can go on through scripture. It's a labor within our salvation. We don't work to get saved. We've been given the salvation. Now we work it out unto holiness by yielding to God's nature and not the nature of men. So the next time you want to get angry at somebody and slap them upside the head, back off, turn, yield to God's nature of pity, compassion, mercy, patience, love, And watch what happens. Righteousness will accelerate within your spirit. And it will wind up producing in due season. 
the holiness of God. And then he finishes out in verse 20. For when you were, someone say it, when I was, that means it's referring to a past life. For when you were the servants of the sinful nature, you were free from righteousness. What fruit had you then in those things whereof you are now ashamed? Man, if you're born again, you know that the righteousness of God and the light and the cleanliness and the holiness of God, you see the darkness you were in is like shameful. Oh, my gosh, what a putrid environment I was in, right? So he goes now. What was the fruit of those that life without righteousness? For the end of those things is death. You're going to live out of the, 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 the sinful nature? It's going to produce death, period. But now, saints, but now, being made free from the sinful nature, you're free from it right now. And become, there's becoming again, the servants to God's nature. You now yield, submit, obey God's nature. You have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life. Now, that's concerning to me because without this becoming a reality, it says the end of this yielding to God's nature uh, taking on the holiness, it then produces eternal life. So what if we proclaim to be Christians from now until whenever, but we never yield to the nature of God and we keep living in the nature of the old sinful nature? It never produces holiness. It never produces righteousness. So then how can it produce everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death. The wages of living out of the sinful nature is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Aren't you glad that right in the center of this message If any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He's a propitiation for our sin. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. In other words, in this working out of what nature we're going to live after, by yielding and obeying to God's nature, which is a beautiful thing, by the way. It's not bad. It's good. It just means you're not going to be miserable anymore. In the old nature, right? The sin satanic nature. Forget it. In this new nature, if we sin, we confess it. Lord, I got into the flesh. Gosh, darn it. I got impatient. I got angry. I I, I, I loosened up. I, I let that unruly thing wants to come back to life in me, Lord. Confess whatever it is. Whatever is sinful in the nature that that you've allowed to exist in you, go back to Romans 6, you're dead. I'm dead to that. I'm not doing that. Lord, forgive me, I did. I'm now cleansed from unrighteousness. Now I'm getting back on my feet again, and I'm going in the journey of becoming and becoming. 
All right. Well, man, that was a quick hour and a half. Where did it go? Let me say good morning to Cindy. Good morning, Cindy. God bless you. You're almost coming home. Almost. He's hanging on. He's hanging on. Uh, Brother Mark. Uh, good morning to Evangelist Wunaid Masi. Good morning to you, Melissa Flitcher. Good morning, sisters. God bless you, uh, Pastor Melissa. Uh, Keith Carey, good morning from sunny Columbus, 75 degrees. Hallelujah. Uh, no God, no U.S. Amen to that. Brenda Palmer Wynn, good morning. Brenda Palmer Wynn, God bless you. Wendy Bredesen, Wendy Majorin Bredesen, absolutely. So many others have mentioned that to, to me. Time is just flying by. Yeah, for sure. Um, but we have good morning all. Keith, I hope you have a great day. Okay, that's good from Kevin um, Hauger. Sorry, I was under the admin site. All right. Uh, Kevin Hauger says, that is why once saved, always saved is just a man item, not what God put in words. Amen to that. Josiah Goss. That's right. Preach, brother. All right, Josiah, we're doing the best we can. David Ellison, good morning. Michaela Johanan, that's Michael V., out of the book of life. That's right. Out of the book of life. The name could be blotted out. I know what you mean. All right. Again, uh, Brenda Torville, good morning. Keith Carey, good morning, Kevin. Okay, a lot of good mornings. We've got Samuel Grimes, good morning, and God bless. Thank you, Sam. Welcome home, by the way. Uh, joy inexpressible and full of glory. Amen from Keith. Brenda, amen. Janet Ruth, good morning. The River Christian Center, Pastor Jeff Bass, Romans 12, be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Amen. River Christian Center, Pastor Jeff says, Romans 12, too, from the New Living Testament, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Amen. Well done, Pastor Jeff. Good word. All right, we must become Christ-centered, which will lead us to become others-driven. This only happens through transformation. Amen to that, Pastor Jeff. Elaine Barzi, Augustine, preach it, Pastor. Good word, newness of life. Amen, Elaine. Uh, Michaela Johanan, my mind has to be dealt with every day until my mind is the mind of Christ, the helmet of salvation. Amen. Another amen from Elaine. Uh, The reality is still once. Amen. Elaine, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Deborah Gagno, good morning. Good morning, Deborah. Uh, Keith Carey, this must be the work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Uh, that's right. Good morning. Tasha Flowers, good morning. Hey, where you guys been? Cody, Tasha, Mama Mia, where have you been? Anyways, say hello to Nathan and the whole family. I think that's it for us today. I don't know if there are any other comments or if anybody else is going to be uh, uh, texting or getting on the chat room. I hope we had a good conversation. I want to start your week off. Um, I had a word here, by the way. If you guys want to stay a little bit longer, I can read it to you. It's right here. It's called The Accuser of the Brethren. I wrote this a long time ago. And um, may I leave you with this? Here it is. I speak to your life. I speak to your power. I say unto you this day to rise up above the accusations of the great adversary. I say unto you that as you come up unto me, you will escape the slanderous accusations the enemy will use to pull you down. I say unto you that the same spirit that accused Christ 2,000 years ago is accusing Christ today in his people. 
I say unto you that you must, with renewed boldness, ascend to the throne of God and take your seat in heavenly places. I say unto you that the devil has been destroyed, Hebrews 2.14. I say unto you that the works of the devil have been destroyed, 1 John 3.8. I say unto you that death has been destroyed, 2 Timothy 1.10. I say unto you, beloved, to execute the judgment for the time is now. The satanic kingdom is shaking from the foundation. The gates of hell are advancing against my beloved. I say unto you that this kingdom and these gates shall not overpower you, my church in the earth. Now is the time. Take the kingdom, for the judgment is set. Though your adversary, the devil, has sought to wear you out, I say unto you that the judgment shall sit. Strategies, plots, and plans have been devised against the righteous, but to no avail. For I have taught you how to overcome. Stay in the love of God, brethren. Stay in the love of God towards all men. For it is not men that you are struggling with, but ancient serpent called the devil. Resist him. Oppose him. Stand against him. Behind the scenes are demonic spirits sent against you to lie, steal, and kill. But they shall not prevail. Now the earth shall shake. Now the kingdoms of this world shall be given to the Lord and his Christ. Now is the judgment executed upon the prince of the power of the air. Now the heavens shall be shaken. Now the stars shall fall from the heavens and wonders and signs be seen above. Now shall the trumpet blast throughout the earth. Now is the time to arise and shine. Why is it now? Because the ecclesia is going to take hold of what was just spoken of today. And the accuser is going to lose his power. There's going to be a war in the heavenlies. He's going to be thrust down the earth. He's going to begin his three and a half year global great tribulation. But it's because the people of God have ascended to the throne in victory. Listen, now is the time to arise and shine. I speak to the power, the power of the resurrection that dwells in you. I say unto you that you shall live and not die, and all that would come against you will be used by God to take you to your high place in him. In other words, every challenge is a stepping stone to your destiny. I say unto you that life more abundant dwells within you in that divine nature, that you shall now come forth in the power of the resurrection. You will demonstrate the powers of my kingdom. You are prepared when you put off the old man, that nature is in nature. Say not in your heart that there are still areas of my life that need to be fixed. For I say unto you that you are fixed, you are healed, you are prepared and ready for this divine event. How? By doing what the word said today. Today, step into it by faith and you're ready to go. I guarantee it. It's God's word. You are prepared and ready for this divine event. I am, even now, removing from your midst those who would contend with your anointing. I am removing and exposing those who carry the accusation. I am allowing you to hear the voice of the enemy in those who have given place to the devil. For I have said unto you that you cannot give place to the devil. Those who have will be seen for who and what they truly are. There will be those who will hear the voice of evil out of their own mouths 
and will see the deception they have been in and will fall upon their faces and wail and repent for the evil they have harbored. These will come forth like new. These will have been washed by the spirit of purging. My righteous ones, my elect shall arise and be crowned with glory and in their crowns shall be many jewels. Let all the earth keep silent before me. For I am coming forth out of my habitation to judge the earth. I will render to every man according to his deeds. I will extend mercy to those who have been merciful. I will deal to every man exactly what he has dealt to others. My justice is perfect. My righteousness is perfect. I have shaken your heavens and your earth first. I have removed everything within you that must be removed. Now I will fill you. Now will I exalt you, for you have humbled yourselves. Those who have been proud will experience a terrible breaking. You are ready. You are ready. Take hold of the next few days. Embrace them, for the world will rock to and fro, and you will remain firm unto everlasting life. I wrote that a long time ago, but I felt the day is where God wanted to set it. It fits perfectly into what we've been talking about. Praise the Lord. Pass the ammunition. Have a super blessed day. We'll see you tomorrow, Lord willing. Right now on Omega Radio, for those of you who want to continue on to hear some good teaching, there's a Deliverance Roundtable discussion with my beloved wife, Patricia Joy Xavier, out of her book, Deliverance, the Christian Bill of Rights, and all of her roundtable friends. It's happening on omegaradio.org right now. OmegaRadio.org. We'll see you tomorrow. God bless everybody. Thanks for tuning in. Shalom.